Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 8, the book of Judges chapter 8. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, there's several things we have to remember here in Judges 8. Now, chapter 7 ended rather abruptly in in the middle of battle. And, you know, we have to remember chapter 7 and then remember chapter 6, where in chapter 6, we see that the Midianites were prevailing against Israel and Israel was impoverished. And this is all a result of God being forgotten. The people forgot the Lord. Now, sometimes I have these conversations with non-believers and, you know, well, you know, you know, what's so special about Israel? You know, why, why, why is Israel supposed to be gaining ground? What's so special about Israel? And, you know, Moses was making that exact point. When Moses, you remember our study in Deuteronomy, when Moses told the people, it's not because you're awesome. Remember, he says it's not because you're awesome. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, go back and listen to our study in Deuteronomy. And, you know, it's not because you're awesome, because you are a stiff-necked people. And that's what Moses tells the people. And he expresses, I say expresses, but his heart was being poured out to the people, where he tells them, listen, you have to be intimate with the Lord. You have to have your proximity to the Lord can't be, you know, a hundred feet away. Your proximity to the Lord can't be 50 feet away. You have to be, remember when we studied we, with the cheek to cheek, cheek to cheek with the Lord, the proximity to the Lord, there has to be intimacy with the Lord. Outside of that, the inheritance of the promised land, outside of intimacy with the Lord, Things just fall apart. And, you know, we could look at this and be like, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, really? Because what about today? In the era of the new covenant, remember, the the law was added because of transgression. Remember our study in Galatians? And, you know, we make mention of this also in Hebrews too. Remember, the law is the additive. It was added because of trespass. But then at the same time to understand until the seed as it is written. And the seed is Jesus. And he died and rose again. And it's so powerful because when we understand what the Lord has done and is doing, we start to make these correlations between Israel where Moses tells the people, it's not because you're awesome. There has to be the proximity. When I say proximity, that's really to emphasize the intimacy that You and me, we need to have with the Lord. And as is the case with Israel, when they lost proximity to the Lord and were no longer intimate with him, to have that close bond with the Lord and unto the Lord, what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten? Well, you start to see like the Midianites in chapter 6 of Judges, where, you know, the Midianites were prevailing against Israel. Israel became impoverished. But in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer, the same exact thing happens when there's no intimacy with the Lord. You ever talk with Christians? You ever talk with Christians where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, oh, pray for me, brother, pray for me, sister. You know, I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. And you're like, okay, well, you know, tell me, brother, tell me, sister, what's the problem? What's the nature of the attack? Well, you know, I, you know, I pass out on the floor because, you know, I'm being attacked. Well, why are you passing out on the floor, brother? Why are you passing out on the floor, sister? 
Well, I drank too much vodka. I drank too much vodka and then I did the gin and I did and I just passed out on the floor. But pray for me because, you know, I'm being I'm being oppressed and Satan is attacking me. And I don't want to have any sympathy for the devil. Don't get me wrong. But understand, it's like, well, wait a second. Hold the phone there, brother. Hold the phone there, sister. What's up? What? Why, why is this the case? You know, I, I, I don't see. I don't see the attack that you specify, brother. I don't see the attack that you specify, sister. But what I do see is your lack of intimacy with the Lord. And as a result, look, you're passed out on the floor. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. I mean, you you read the promises of the Lord, what, what, what the Lord told to Moses and Moses tells the people, what the Lord says to Joshua and Joshua tells the people and you're like, whoa, this is so beautiful. I love these promises. And then you get to the book of Judges and you're like, in Judges chapter six, the Midianites were prevailing against Israel and Israel is impoverished. And you're like, well, wait a second. What happened to the promises of the Lord? The Lord promises good things and then Israel is impoverished. The Lord promises good things and the Midianites are prevailing against Israel. And then there's that whisper of Satan. Maybe God is fake. Maybe God is fake. And people start to realize, people start to think and they're like, well, wait a second. In this realization, which is a facade, they start to agree. You know what? Yeah, God is fake. Because he promises good things and I don't have good things. He promises good things for Israel. And look, the Midianites are prevailing against Israel. You read promises in the Bible that are applicable for the believer. But the question is, what are the effectuators? That's why you remember our study in Joshua 1. Very difficult for to, to teach to speak on because there are such beautiful, beautiful promises that the Lord has for Joshua. The Lord spoke these things to Joshua. It's not to say that they cannot apply to you and me, but when we, you know, analyze Joshua and, you know, you hit the rewind button in the life of Joshua and you're like, whoa, Joshua, he's been intimate with the Lord from long ago. Not just in the Joshua 1 chapter. He was intimate with the Lord long ago. Remember when Moses was on the top of the hill and he has his hands up and he's praying? And then at the, in, on, down at the ground, at the, at the, at the battle, there, there's victory. that the, the Lord gives Israel victory, but the, he, the, people are, the, the, the people are led by Joshua. Joshua's intimacy with the Lord started long ago. And sometimes, you know, you have these conversations with Christians and like, oh, pray for me, brother, pray for me, sister. I'm being oppressed. And then you're like, you, you talk about it. And you're like, wait a second. I don't see oppression. I see a lot of stupid mistakes. I see a lot of foolishness, a whole lot of foolishness. And, you know, you're, you're putting the blame on Satan, which in one regard is understandable. Because remember, don't forget, Satan is a fisherman, too. Satan is a fisherman too, and he's very crafty. But where is wisdom in these last days? When a brother, when a sister says, oh, you know, pray for me, brother, pray for me, sister. I'm being oppressed. I'm under attack. I'm under attack. And then you talk about it. Listen, brother, sister, I'm going to pray for you. 
But, you know, you call these things attacks, but I see a whole lot of self-inflicted wounds. I, I see a whole lot of self-inflicted wounds. But the Bible promises this, the Bible promises this, the Bible promises this, and look at my life and I don't have it. It's like, okay, hold the phone there. There are effectuators for those promises. I mean, do you remember our study in Deuteronomy where the Lord says, he says, listen, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, listen, I'm with you. I won't forsake you. In the same chapter, he says, I'm forsaking you. In the same chapter, he says, I will not forsake you. And in the same chapter, he says, I'm not going to forsake Or uh, He says, in the beginning, I'm not going to forsake you. And in the middle of the chapter, I'm going to forsake you. No, I, I won't forsake you. And in the middle, I'm forsaking you. So what, what happened? Did the Lord change his mind? Did the Lord change his mind? The answer is no. What happened? The people changed their heart. Because when the Lord says, you know, I will not forsake you, that's intimacy with the Lord. When the people are intimate with the Lord, they're on the right frequency. Remember we give the example with the radio station? I want to listen to classical music that's on, you know, 92.2. And I want to listen to classical music. So that means I got to be on 92.2. I go to like 104, I'm not listening to classical music. I go to like, you know, 89, that's not classical music. I go to 92.8. It's scratchy. I don't hear the music. 92.5. It's still scratchy, but I can make out the tune. But it's still not clear. But when it's crystal clear, I got to be on 92.2. I got to be on the right frequency. That's intimacy with the Lord. You see? And praise be to the Lord because... He's the one who makes a way. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you're listening and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day of salvation. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. What's that? I mean, why? What, 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 why not? Look at the world today. Look at the world today where all these things are happening, the convergence of prophetic events. And don't forget, Jesus is the one who says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. That's to you. That's to you. You're not a believer? Well, let today be the day of salvation. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And if you're lukewarm, if you are a believer, but you're lukewarm, you're playing games with the Lord, cut it out. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you recommit your life to Christ. No more games. And not to suggest that there was any time in history where it was okay to play games with the Lord, but this time more than ever, not a good time to play with the games with the Lord. Do, do not do that. I mean, 
being lukewarm has its share of penalties and it's not pretty. Where Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, he says, I will vomit you out. I will vomit you out inside, but now being, you know, uh, removed from the inside. I will vomit you out. And it's very important to have these understandings because a lot of time when I speak to people, they're like, well, what's so special about Israel? That's exactly what Moses was saying. Where he says, listen, you know, it's not because you're awesome. Because you're a stiff-necked people. And he tells them, he says, listen, you have to have intimacy with the Lord. And here we are in the book of Judges. I mean, it blows me away because, you know, we look at like uh, uh, the book of Joshua and the end of Joshua. Joshua's like, listen, you know, choose this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people, they're on board. They're like, yes, you know, Joshua, we're on board. You know, we're on board. You know, we're, we're, we're on fire for the Lord too. As for us, we're going to serve the Lord. And then, you know, Judge, Josh, the book of Joshua ends. You turn the page, the book of Judges, what happens? They forgot the Lord. The Lord became forgotten. And you say, okay, that's Old Testament. Shame on them, shame on them, shame on them. But hold the phone there, my friend. It happens today. When people forget the Lord. Oh, I'm on fire for the Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And people are, you know, demons leave a person. A person has, you know, uh, uh, addictions with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. And all of a sudden somebody comes to Christ and they believe in Jesus Christ and praise be to the Lord. The demons leave. Praise the Lord. But Jesus says, Jesus is the one who says, listen, he, you know, when, when those demons leave, he says that that demon is going to come back, but not alone. He's going to come back with his friends, other demons that are worse. And Jesus gives the warning. He says, listen, he says, if that person is on a, you know, how it translates is, is if that person is on spiritual vacation. I mean, you picture vacation, people go on vacation, they relax, you know, no alarm clocks. They just wake up where, you know, in the regular, regular flow of work life, you know, a person might wake up at, you know, five in the morning, a person may wake up at six in the morning, but on vacation, they're waking up at noon. Just relax, you know, not a care in the world, you know. Come on, let's wake up. It's noon. Let's wake up. Let's. Have some breakfast, you know, it's like noon, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find a place where you get some scrambled eggs and it's noon. Come on, let's take a walk on the beach. Let's do this. Let's do that. Not a care in the world, but you do that spiritually. Number one, don't do that. But a person who does that spiritually, that person is in major, major, major danger. Take a guy, for example, who's on his sex and drugs and rock and roll and, you know, alcohol, the whole nine yards and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Yes. Praise be to the Lord. It's such a beautiful moment when a person goes from born into Adam, which happens to everybody, but born again into Christ does not happen to everybody. But praise be to the Lord, you know, when it does happen. And when I say it doesn't happen to everybody, I don't say that in a Calvinistic sense. Calvinism is unbiblical. Reformed theology, which they call theology, but it's reformed theory because it's a theory, but it's unbiblical. 
You go to, you know, we have these resources for, go to thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. We have all these resources and you'll see, you know, the uh, for a reformed theology for the Calvinists. If you're Calvinist and you're listening, listen, I love you, but hey, that the ship that you're on, that's sinking. The sh- straight up, the ship that you're on is sinking. That ship will not end in paradise because you have Calvinist pastors today who are saying, oh yeah, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Once saved, always saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You're good to go. Take the mark of the beast. No, listen, you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. You take the mark, you know, hello, lake of fire. And I don't, you know, there's no candy coating that. There's no like, well, if, you know, and, they, you know, when, when they try to explain, some pastors are, you know, they've been asked these questions. Well, wait, wait, pastor, you, you say that we can take the mark of the beast. And, you know, the pastor doesn't respond. He sends his minions out and, you know, these co-pastors respond. And they do this, all this anal- analyzing. And then, you know, well, you know, there's this, well, there's that. And they use all these big words. It's like, wait a second. The Bible just lays it out point blank. You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. So if you're Calvinist, if you're, if you're reformed, I love you. But you got to jump ship. Because you follow the advice. And I don't say, you know, we can't call it biblical teaching because it isn't. But you follow those sayings of these teachers, pastors. They call themselves pastors, but they're disqualified. You follow those things and you take the mark of the beast. Oh, my pastor says I can take the mark of the beast. So I'm going to take the mark of the beast. You do that. Hello, lake of fire. Don't do that. You got to jump ship. And so when we say that, you know, when a person goes from born into Adam, which is everybody, and then they're born again into Christ, which doesn't happen to everybody. I don't say that in the Calvinistic sense. Whosoever. Whosoever believes. And we have to have these understandings. Because I get it when people, you know, there's this rise of anti-Semitism, which in itself is prophetic. But it's not the branch that supports the root. Remember our study in Romans 11? It's not the branch that supports the root. And there's this rise of anti-Semitism in the last days. It's all in accordance to the Antichrist spirit. It's satanic. Where when you read the prophecies and you see that the Antichrist is going to come against Jews and Israel and the Antichrist is going to come against the Jews and the world is going to be on board. Oh yeah, you Jews, you Jews, we hate you, we hate you. And the Antichrist is going to come against the Jews. And then you have Christians, so-called Christians, with their replacement theology, where they teach that God is done with Israel, which is an unbiblical teaching. It is a lie from the pit of hell. The branch does not support the root. And God is going to protect the Jews. When you read the prophecies, And you follow the valley, the lines that lead to the Jordan. Major prophets, minor prophets. You read these. And these are things that we've studied. If you've been walking with us for a while, these are things that we've studied already, which we're going to study even more as we get further into the last days. And then the Lord is going to protect the Jews. And then the Antichrist, he's going to come against the Christians to kill the Christians. And the world is going to be on board. 
Oh, we hate the Jews. We hate the Jews. Oh, yeah, we hate the Christians. We hate the Christians. Kill them too. The Bible refers to perilous times for a reason. The Lord says these days will be perilous for a reason because they will be perilous. You see? And I've had these conversations with people, especially when it comes to Israel. What's so special about Israel? That's, that's what Moses was telling the people. It's not because you're awesome. You have to have closeness with the Lord. And then according to the blueprints, this is how you have closeness to the Lord. Now, when I say according to the blueprints, it's according to the blueprints of the old covenant, the law. But the law in itself is a tutor. And the tutor brings to Christ. You see? Listen to our studies through Galatians, through Hebrews. And if you're willing, go back and listen to our studies through Leviticus and finish the Torah, our studies through the Torah, and you'll understand. Because when Jesus told the, you know, the, the Pharisees were speaking to Jesus, oh, we're hardcore, we follow Moses, we follow Moses. And Jesus responded and says, listen, Moses wrote about me. They couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. You go back and you listen to our studies through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you'll see, oh my goodness, Moses absolutely wrote about Jesus. Because remember, as New Covenant believers, we go back and we read the Old Testament from the lens of the New Covenant. Standing firmly on the rock of salvation, but we got our looking, our, our, our looking glass. And, you know, we go back and look at the, our, our studies through the Old Testament. And you'll see, Moses absolutely wrote about Jesus. These are things that the Pharisees didn't understand. You know why? Because their hearts were hard. You see? And just like in, 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 in Joshua, oh, you know, Joshua, you know, listen, you say, as for you and your house, you're going to serve the Lord. Me too, Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then you get to the book of Judges, what happens? They forgot the Lord. But what happens today? The Lord has become forgotten. The Lord has become forgotten. But not so with the remnant. That's what's so beautiful about these heroes, these titans of faith, such as Gideon, such as beautiful, beautiful Deborah, such as Ehud, you see? Yael, don't forget Yael. I'm so in love with these people, male, female, young, old. I'm so in love with them. Because you look at the masses, you look at the majority when the Lord has become forgotten, but then you have this peculiar people a different makeup where it's not as for me in my house, it's as for me, I will serve the Lord. And in the last days, don't forget Jesus says, a man's enemies will be those in his own household under the same roof. You see? Under the same roof. Where it can, I mean, you know, hopefully it can be said as for me and my house, but the last day's model is more as for me. I mean, praise be to the Lord if it's as for me and my house. But the 
closer alignment to the prophecies is, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And so what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten? And that's what's so powerful about these studies in the book of Judges. It's sad, but it's still beautiful. In the sorrow, there's still these moments of like, wow, this is so beautiful. In chapter 6, you know, the Midianites, yes, they were prevailing against Israel, but it's because the people forgot the Lord. No effectuation of his promises. Why? Because they forgot the Lord. And they were worshiping idols. Remember, the people got mad when, when Gideon tore down the, the altar of Baal, and then they got mad. They wanted to kill him. It says a lot about the people. It says a lot about the people. And don't forget, when you, you go back and listen to our study in the book of in Judges chapter 6, it's very interesting because the people, they're still praying to the Lord. They still pray to the Lord, and the Lord sends them a prophet. They're still praying to the Lord, but yet they have idols. Very interesting. It reminds me a lot about the last day's church. The last day's Christian. Praying to the Lord. But they're still idols. Praying to the Lord. And just as with Israel, the Lord responds and sends them a prophet. And then when Gideon tears down the, 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 the altar of Baal, they want to kill him. You see? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. You see? And then the Lord speaks to Gideon. Chapter 6, you know, the Lord speaks to Gideon. And Gideon cleans house. Literally, his dad has idols. And Gideon cleans house and, you know, destroyed these idols. And then the people were against Gideon, which, you know, absolutely says a lot about the people. And then, you know, Israel is, you know, still oppressed by Midian, but there's something that's brewing. Remember our study in chapter six, there's something that's brewing. And the Lord is at work using his vessel, Gideon. And then we get to Judges chapter seven. We see the warriors of Israel getting ready to fight. And the Lord says, you know what? It's too many. You have thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And the Lord says, it's too many. I think that's, that's pretty beautiful. That's pretty beautiful. Because then you see a little picture. And depending on your eyes, you might see a big picture. Of the manner and the ways of the warrior. Not according to the flesh. You know, when I was a new believer, I was so mad at Stephen. You know, and then you, you, you read the book of Acts and you see Stephen stoned, first martyr. And I was so angry at Stephen. I thought he was so weak, the biggest weakling. I thought, why is this happening? Why? I was like, I was like, just angry. I had my Bible open and I was angry. Like, what in the world, Stephen? He's so weak. He's so weak. What are you doing, Stephen? Fight. And I was mad at his friends. Like, where are the Christians? Fight. But I was a fool. I was a baby. I didn't have the understanding. That was like 25 years ago. But today, 
Stephen? Among the most valiant of warriors. I didn't understand it 25 years ago. You see? And so we're down to the 300 and, you know, and the fight begins. And this is where we left off last week. I mean, it kind of ended abruptly. You know, I mean, the, 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 the battle's ensuing where, you know, in the end of last week where Ephraim joins in and it was Israel who's now pursuing the Midianites, but not the whole of Israel. Do you remember our studies in, you know, Numbers and Deuteronomy, how we would specifically say <clears throat> that these passages in Numbers and Deuteronomy where we see the whole of Israel and they were beautiful, yes. But then how we would say, you know, once we're done with this, with the, the Torah and once we're done after the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to see that there's... Instead of the whole, it now goes tribal. Where you see like certain tribes, not all the tribes, you see certain tribes. Some tribes are good, some tribes are bad. I shouldn't say it like that. Some tribes are have intimacy, some tribes don't have intimacy. Which, I guess, you know, not having intimacy is bad, but I don't mean bad like, you know, it could lead to wickedness. It could lead to harlotry. You see? And so you, you look at the Torah and see the whole of Israel, which is beautiful. But then you get further down, you start reading through, through the passages. It's like, well, wait a second. What happened to the whole of Israel? Then you start to see the, the makeup of the remnant. Among tribes, among people, among individuals. Look at, look at beautiful Deborah. Look at beautiful, beautiful Deborah, where she says, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. Oh, when the leaders lead. I mean, praise the Lord that there was Deborah. Praise the Lord that there was Deborah, who was like the jumper cables. And praise the Lord that there was Deborah. But at the same time, it's like it didn't have to get to that point. And not to, no, no disrespect to Deborah at all, not to pull away from, you know, her stand. Her stand is beautiful. She's a hero of mine. But, oh, when the leaders lead. You see, leadership matters. Look at Israel under Moses. Look at Israel under Joshua. You see? Praise the Lord that there was a Joshua when Moses died. But then when Joshua died and the elders died, it didn't go so well for Israel. And then you start to see this breakdown of the whole of Israel. And then you see the remnant model where certain tribes were like last week in Judges 7 where Ephraim joins in the fight. And so we start here in Judges chapter 8, where we see here in verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, they're speaking to Gideon. And they say, why have you done this to us? This Judges chapter 8 verse 1. Why have you done this to us? By not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites. And they reprimanded him sharply. Remember in chapter 6, 
Gideon sent messengers out and Ephraim responded in the affirmative. You know, we're joining the fight. You know, we're, we're joining in this fight. And you know, it's so beautiful because Ephraim connects with Gideon. But then at the same time, you know, the question that he poses, you know, why have you done this to us? Why didn't you let us know when you went out to fight against the, the Midianites? They reprimanded him sharply. But don't forget, it was the Lord who shrunk the numbers of Gideon. Remember, the Lord says, hey, listen, because if you go in like a full, like a full arsenal, you have like all thousands and thousands and thousands of people and you go in like, you know, fully loaded. He says, you're going to take the glory. You're going to say it was by your own might. So let's cut the numbers down. And you, you, it's so beautiful because you figure, okay, you know, let's take off a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. Okay, I, I get that. And you still have this mighty force. I get that. But you know, <laughs> there's just 300 left. The, the Lord dwindled their numbers majorly. And I love that so much. Not to say like there's just 300, but there's just 300. You see the handiwork of the Lord. And so Gideon, the e Ephraim, they, you know, why didn't you tell us, Gideon? They reprimanded him sharply in verse 2. So he said to them, what I have done now, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? How this translates in the Hebrew is more like, is not the gathering of the grapes better than the crop? And I don't want to deviate from grapes or the implications to wine or new wine, even the wine press, but picture a strawberry patch. Strawberry patch. What's better? The patch or the freshly picked berries right in front of you? What's better? You know what's better? The latter. You know why? Because you get to eat. And that's what Gideon's response is to Ephraim who takes issue. They ask him, you know, why didn't you tell us about the fight? And he tells them, is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebezer? The gathering of the grapes better than the crop? In verse 3, Gideon is still speaking. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? You see, Gideon is telling them, he's, listen, the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim is better. You guys fought and fought valiantly. Who am I in comparison to you? I love that because you see, Gideon, still you see humility. Humility. This is something that is seen in Stephen. That in my carnal ways, I was too foolish to understand the beauty of humility as a means of offense. When I was so mad at Stephen. I was so angry at Stephen. Why aren't you fighting, Stephen? Why aren't you fighting, Stephen? Why aren't you fighting, Stephen? Because my eyes were not tuned. I was out of focus. I didn't have eyes. I was reading and had understanding that was carnal. 
But today, today I understand. Stephen, he was absolutely fighting valiantly. His humility, which yes, cost him his life, but he saw the Lord and he's with the Lord. You see, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you see this humility of Gideon. What was I able to do in comparison with you? He says in verse three, and I love this at the end of verse three, then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You guys fought. You know, like, what was I able to do in comparison with you? And there's like, okay, you know. I mean, in verse one, you know, they reprimanded him sharply. And then, you know, he gives him like, you know, gives him props. And he's like, they're like, okay, you know, so their anger subsided when he said that. <laughs> in verse four, when, when Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. This very interesting what we see here. Languid is the trans, translation from the Hebrew word for exhaustion, no energy, no vitality. Some of our veteran listeners know exactly what this is like to be fully operational with no sleep, no sleep, two days, no sleep, three days, no sleep, four days, no sleep, five days, no sleep, straight up droning, dummy cord, everything. Where the mind is in control of your body. And life or death, the mission will be completed. I mean, you could, you talk to a veteran, ask a veteran, what's the longest you've ever been without sleep? And it's like nothing. They'll tell you, well, you know, two days, three days, four days, five days, five day ops. These 300 men, they're exhausted. Languid. For the Hebrew, you know, no energy, no vitality. They're exhausted. They're in pursuit. I love it so much. They're in pursuit, exhausted, and they're still pursuing. But then they come to a town here. And you see, you know, in verse 4, they're exhausted. They're still in pursuits. In verse 5, then he said to the men of Sukkot, Please give us loaves of bread to the people who follow me. Very interesting. Give us loaves of bread. Very interesting. Does this sound familiar? Let us continue. Please give, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Zeba and Zamuna, kings of Midian. So it, what we see in, in uh, um, uh, verse 3, where Gideon speaking to Ephraim says, you know, you guys took care of the princes, Oreb and Zeb, what we saw at the, you know, in chapter 7. But then here in verse 5 of chapter 8, we see Zeba and Zamuna. These are the kings. They're not the princes. These are the kings of Midian. And it's very interesting what we see here because Zeba and Zamuna, what those names mean is sacrifice and denial of shade. But shade here is in the form, you know, it's from a covering. And this is what Gideon says. 
I'm pursuing Ziba and Zamuna, kings of Midian, in verse 5. Gideon, whose name itself means warrior, but also tree cutter. Very interesting. Remember the stump? Remember the rod of Jesse? Let us also not forget the carpenter. And Gideon says, I am pursuing, not we. I am pursuing. And don't forget, Seba and Zamuna is sacrifice and denial of shade, but from a covering, denial of covering. And Gideon, that's what he says. He doesn't say, we're pursuing. He says, I am pursuing. Very interesting. And he says, to those who follow me, which isn't a lot. It, 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 it is not the whole of Israel. It isn't the whole of a tribe. It's just 300. To those who follow me. A remnant of the whole. A major remnant of the whole. I mean, when you count the whole of Israel and then you just have 300, that's a, that's a major remnant. And I don't mean remnant in terms of size. I mean remnant in terms of smallness. And he says that I'm pursuing sacrifice and I'm pursuing denial of covering. Not we, not we are pursuing. He says, I am pursuing in naming Zeba and Zamuna and Gideon, whose name means warrior. And then he says to Sukkot, the men of Sukkot in verse 5, the people who follow me, give them loaves of bread. Very interesting. As new covenant believers, look what we see in this beautiful, beautiful verse. Look at what we see with eyes to see and ears to hear. Look at what we see. Look at what we hear. As a shadow of things to come. In verse 6, and the leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zamuna? Now in your hand that we should give bread to your army. Very interesting. The leaders of Sukkot, they're telling Gideon, no. I mean, some of our veteran listeners, you know, who can relate to verse four, who are, you know, these men who are exhausted, but still in pursuits. And some of our veteran listeners might be more shocked at this response than others. I'll explain. When you're part of a liberating group, a group of warriors who are fighting against oppressors, there are several factions you see. Number one, the oppressors, they hate you. Understandably, they want to kill you. But the oppressed, they do not hate you. There is adoration. This response that we see from the leaders of Sukkot it's odd. It hurts. Because you have the liberators of this 300 led by Gideon. Remember, the Midianites are the oppressors. And you have this force 
that's coming against the oppressors and this force, the leader of this force is saying, give, give, us, give loaves of bread to the people who follow me. And kind of in a mocking way, well, they look, you know, look to the left, look to the right, look, you know, behind, look around. I don't see Ziba. I don't see Zamuna. Are they now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? Because if, if you're a liberating force, where's the proof? Where's the proof that you're the liberating force? Look, you're just 300. You see? Very interesting what we see. And kind of in a mocking way, they're telling him no. I mean, does this sound familiar? We see in verse 7, So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zamuna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Very interesting because briars in Hebrew is shining thorns, lightning, flashing sword. Does this sound familiar? Because understand, you see, the Pharisees, they should have known who was speaking to them when Jesus spoke. All the opportunities they had to piece things together. I could understand being... Hmm, I don't know the word, but like confrontational, but not like not 100% confrontational. I can understand like, you know, maybe 40% confrontational, not in a like, you know, in a, you know, we're going to go to blows sense, but in a confrontation, like, you know, who is this? What are these words that are being spoke? Who is this? I can understand that for the sake of protecting the people. I could understand that. I could understand, you know, a Pharisee being 40% confrontational. And as words being spoken further proved, evidentially speaking, the source of these words who was speaking, then that 40% becomes 30%, becomes 20%, becomes 10%, becomes 3%, becomes 2 becomes 1%, becomes 0%, where the Pharisee falls on his knees. Forgive me, Lord, my hardness of heart. You are the Messiah. But notice, all the opportunities that the Pharisees had. And the Bible does say that some of them, they didn't know exactly who they were speaking to. But even in rejecting Jesus, the things that were happening to our Lord spoke loud and clear. They testified. Even as the religious leaders proclaimed, we have no king but Caesar. And then Jesus, wearing his crown of thorns, the leaders of the oppressed, the leaders of the oppressed 
rejected the liberator named Jesus. But the thorns themselves, they testify. To this day, they testify loud and clear, crystal clear to those with ears. See, the Pharisees, you know, they could, they should have been the ones to understand that, who, number one, who they were speaking to. But even, you know, as Jesus is carrying his cross, and don't forget, even our Lord himself had help to carry his cross. And even in seeing that path outside the gates, the Pharisees, those with deeper understandings, those who knew Torah, those who knew the Testament, those who knew the writings of the prophets, those who knew Judges, those who knew Judges chapter 8 verse 7. And they could read the you know, go, go back into synagogue and pull out the scroll and roll it out and start to read Judges chapter 8, verse 7. Now, these weren't laid out, you know, it wasn't, you know, Judges chapter 8. There wasn't a scroll for, you know, Judges chapter 8 and, you know, verse 7. There were, we're so spoiled now because the modern translators, you know, they, they were so spoiled because we can say Judges 8, you know, verse 7. Old Testament, Judges 8, verse 7. We're so spoiled. But back in the day, there were scrolls. And so they would find it and say, okay. For this cause in verse 7, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zamuna into my hand, and, you know, reading in Hebrew, they would understand, you know, sacrifice and the denial of covering. And they would see like, wait, I, I see this man who claims to be the Messiah. And he has a crown of thorns. And then, you know, the, the Pharisee looking at the scrolls. You know, look out the window and you can see, you know, the, the, this person, this man who claims to be the Messiah. Wearing his crown of thorns, carrying his cross. And the Pharisee with the scrolls open. Looks out the window and sees Jesus. Goes back to the table there. Looks at the scrolls. Then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he looks out the window and he sees this man with the crown of thorns. And then with the briars, where the briars in Hebrew is the shining thorns or lightning or the flashing swords and it's flashing sword. And the, the Pharisee remembers the words of Jesus Christ when he when when, you know, when it was told to him what Jesus said about his second coming. As the lightning. For my Jewish friends, I love you. It's not two messiahs. It's one messiah, two comings. He came the first time, rejected. He's coming again.
Reject him no more. Go back and listen to our studies. For my Jewish friends, go back and listen to our studies through Torah. And you'll see Moses wrote of Jesus. In verse 8, in Judges chapter 8, verse 8. Then he went up from there to Penuel. Penuel, where you know, this is Gideon now. Gideon goes to Sukkot. The, the men are exhausted. The 300, they're exhausted. They're still in pursuit, but they're exhausted. Give us loaves to breads. They go to Sukkot. And they, the, the, the men of Sukkot, nope. Kind of mocking, you know, in verse, in, in verse 6, it was the leaders. And so now in verse 8, then he went from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. This is Gideon and the 300. They go to another town. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkot has an had answered. You see? Rejection. So he spoke in verse 9. So he spoke to the men of Penuel saying, when I come back in peace, when I come back, I will tear down this tower. Notice what's happening here. Gideon is there now. And he's being rejected. And he's going to defeat the oppressors with the 300. And he's telling them that he will return. The oppressors will be gone. And when he comes back, he says, I'm going to tear down this tower. You see? Let's continue. In verse 10, now Zeba and Zamuna, remember, these are the Midianite kings, not the princes. The princes was with Ephraim. Ephraim took care of the princes. These are the kings. Now Zeba and Zamuna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000. Talk about comparison of numbers. So you have like 300 versus 15,000. All who were left of the army of the people of the east for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. So their original size was more, you know, by 120,000. Now you see why, <clears throat> why Gideon said to Ephraim, the gleaning is better than the vintage. The gleaning is better than the vintage. I'm reminded of something found in John 14, verse 12, red letters. Where our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now remember, we stress formula for a reason. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. Because I've had conversations with non-believers, non former believers, Former believers, you know, and people say, well, you know, they, he never really believed. She never really believed. No, that's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology. Because according to Reformed theory, once saved, always saved. But according to the Bible, once saved, stay saved. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. 
It is a lie from the pit of hell. That's why you have pastors saying, oh yeah, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. Once saved, always saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. Fools at the pulpits. They have no business at the pulpits, but where do you see them? At the pulpits. What also do you see? People following them. One of many signs of the last days, the rise of apostasy. As the Lord becomes forgotten, nothing new under the sun. In order for apostasy to be on the rise, as is prophesied, as we see, you know what must also be true? The Lord is forgotten. You see? Because I've had these conversations with people. Well, you know, the Bible says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So I pray. Jesus gives this invitation and so I pray. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I want a new car. I want a new car. So Jesus, you know, you say, ask in my name. And so, okay, Jesus, I want a Lamborghini. I want a Lamborghini. In Jesus' name, I pray. No Lamborghini. They wait. Oh, I'll be patient. Oh, the patience of the Lord. I'll be patient. So I'll wait a couple days. No Lamborghini. I'll wait a couple weeks. Okay, no Lamborghini. I'll wait a couple months. No Lamborghini. I'll wait a couple years. No Lamborghini. Where's my Lamborghini? Where in the world is my Lamborghini? Because Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I prayed, Jesus, give me Lamborghini in Jesus' name. Three years later, no Lamborghini. And so what happens? They walk away. Okay, I'm done. No Lamborghini, I'm out. And the whole time the person never realizes the formula was wrong. In their own heart, the formula was wrong. You see? But when the formula is right, you're not going to be asking for a Lamborghini. When the formula is right, the words of our Lord, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And the formula, it has to be right. The formula in your own heart, it has to be right. And when the formula is right in your heart, you're going to walk into a church and you're going to realize, oh my goodness, this guy's crazy. You're going to walk into church and be like, female pastor, I'm out. Wrong formula. I mean, the formula is right in your heart, but the wrong formula is wrong at the pulpit. So, you know, when the formula is right in your heart, you have to, you have to find where the formula is right in order for, I don't want to say it like this, but in order for the stars to align, I don't want to say it like that, but in order for there to be holy alignment, you see? In order for there to be holy alignment. And that's what you see in Philippi. 
That's what you see in Philippi. Holy alignment. Where in to the Corinthians, Paul doesn't say he doesn't. There's no inclusion of the pastors, of the teachers, of the of the leaders, of the overseers. Galatians, no inclusion of the overseers. You get into Philippians, there's the inclusion of the teachers, of the pastors, of the elders, of the overseers. Why? Because they were obedient. You see? Because in Philippi, beautiful, beautiful, holy alignment. You have the saints. The formula is right in their heart. You have the sanctuary. The formula is right in sanctuary. You have the pastors. The formula is right in the pastors. That's Philippi. You don't see that in Corinth. You don't see that in Corinth. In Corinth, the pastors, formula wrong. In Corinth, the the churches, formula wrong. In Corinth, the Christians, formula wrong. You see? But in Chloe's house, there was safety. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. And those in Chloe's house, they write a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, we got issues over here. Major issues. I wonder what the leaven said of Chloe. Oh, Chloe, you're such a busybody. Oh, Chloe, you're such a meddler. Oh, Chloe, look, you're gossiping. You're gossiping. Why are you telling Paul about us, Chloe? Chloe, why do you want to gossip? You know, Chloe, why are you telling Paul that you know, there's this, this brother in the Lord, he's a Christian, and why are, you, why are you going to go tell Paul that he's having sex with his dad's wife? That's not very loving, Chloe. Why are you going to tell Paul about that? Chloe, why are you going to tell Paul about... This extortion. Why are you going to tell him about this drunkenness? The Bible has plenty to say about the meddler and the busybody and the gossip. But let me tell you something. That ain't Chloe. Chloe was on the right frequency. Her intimacy with Jesus. And to honor and glorify Jesus. She doesn't go to the pastor's. She doesn't go to the pastors of Corinth. She goes to the male covering. He, she goes to Paul. And what does Paul do? Inspired of the Spirit, he writes a letter. And the Lord cleans house using his vessels. Vessel Paul. And when you think of Vessel Paul, never, ever, ever, ever forget the beautiful Vessel Chloe. Never. That's what I love so much about these, you know, to my sisters in Christ. To my sisters in Christ, it's like, well, why, why isn't there anything written about Chloe? I mean, there's a little bit, but it's all Paul. Why, why, why isn't there no? Why not Chloe? Why not mention of Chloe more than what we see? Just like Hebrews 11. Remember the halls of faith, Hebrews 11? It's like, you know, Barak. Inclusion in the halls of faith, his name, Barak. But it's like, where's Deborah in Hebrews 11? Where's Deborah? Because you see the account in Judges, even Barak needed jumper cables from Deborah. Let me tell you something to my beautiful sisters in Christ. Me, I love that. I love that so much. 
not for the sake of you know, oh, the men will are better, you know. Oh, you know, Chloe, you know, sit down. This is not your place. Oh, Deborah, sit down. This is not your place. Not, that's carnal. That's carnal. Not for that sake. Not for that reason. But I love that in order to see the insane beauty of these women, in order to see the the, the utter beauty of these women. You have to have eyes to see. You have to have ears to hear. I love that. It's a little barometer of frequency. And so Gideon, when Gideon is saying these, he goes to... He goes to Sukkot, rejected. Remember, what's been interesting, in Sukkot, he doesn't ask for loaves of bread for himself. He asks for loaves of bread for the people who are following him. Very interesting. He goes into Penuel, he leaves, he gets rejected in, 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 in Sukkot, he goes to Penuel, and then he says, you know, oh, rejected again. When I come back, I will tear down this tower. This tower. And so now you see the kings of uh, of of Midian, Zeba and Zamuna. Their armies they're about fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. And all who were left of the army of the people of the east in verse ten, for one hundred twenty thousand men who drew the sword had fallen. In verse 11, then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents. Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Nobah in Yogbeha. And he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. You see? I wonder if this camp had a mindset that said, Peace and safety. Peace and safety. And now sudden destruction enters their camp. I wonder. In verse 12, when Zeba and Zamuna fled, he pursued them and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zamuna, and routed the whole army, or translates as instilled fear and terror in the whole army. This is, you know, Gideon and the 300. Mighty fine warriors. I mean, these are straight up fighters. 300 versus 15,000. In verse 13, then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Herez. Now, more properly translated is regarding, it's in regards to timing. That, that, that Gideon returned from battle. In timing wise, it's before the rising of the sun. That's more... The Hebrew translation. In verse 14, And he caught a young man of the men of Sukkot. Now, remember the leaders of Sukkot. Remember the leaders were, you know, no bread for you. Now, the young man from Sukkot is caught. And so he catches a young man of the men of Sukkot and interrogated him, it says in verse 14. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkot and its leaders. The leaders of Sukkot and its elders elders 77 men 
So Gideon, what is he doing? He's collecting intel. He is collecting intel from this young man in verse 14. Give me the names of the leaders of the, and the elders. And it's a total of 77. You know, I wonder if the people of Sukkot consider these leaders to be good. I wonder if they thought highly of their elders. Oh, look, we have good leadership. We have good elders. Oh, look, our leaders are awesome. Oh, look, we have this, this leader. We have a co-leader. We have another co-leader. And look at these elders. Look, we have these elders. They're so awesome. Unbeknownst to them, the leaders, the leaders of Sukkot denied Gideon and his 300. The leaders and the elders denied these vessels of the Lord. An army that was very literally crafted by the Lord. Oh, look, we have good leaders. We have good leaders. I'm look, I'm from Sukkot and my leader is awesome. These leaders that we have, our elders that we have, they're so awesome. There's 77. What a nice godly number. We have 77. Oh, look at these godly leaders that we have. But when you understand formula, you realize that these leaders and elders, they're defunct. Defunct. Notice what we see here in verse 15. Then he came to the men of Sukkot and said, Here are Zeba and Zamuna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamuna now in your hand? That we should give bread to your weary men? Here they are, the two kings. They weren't with me then, but here they are. They're with me now. Remember before when he came to Sukkot? And the leaders, the, the elders, you know, are, are Ziba and Zamuna with you now? Are they now in your hand? And here in verse 15, here they are. Here they are. Notice what we see here in verse 16. And he took the elders of the city and, th and thorns of the wilderness and the briars. And with them, he taught the men of Sukkot. You know how this translates in the Hebrew? He taught the whosoever's of Sukkot. That's how it translates in verse 16. He taught the whosoever's. Where the whosoever's can realize our leaders were terrible. We have a nice godly number. We have 77 leaders. We get leaders and elders, a total of 77. Look, a nice godly number, 77. Oh, God's number. We must be right. We must be. Oh, look, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. Look, we have these, these leaders. And Gideon teaches through their chastisement of the leaders. He teaches the whosoever's of Sukkot. The leaders, they were terrible. The elders, they were terrible. I mean, picture that. You see the oppressors, they're gone. The liberators come to town. Gideon and 300, they come to town. 
It's like, you know, you, you saw them come to town before and it's like, you don't really, you know, you're not in, you're not in the know, you're not part of the who's who. And so, you know, you see the leaders, you know, people are like, like looking over the wall, like, oh, okay, we see, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? Then you see Gideon and 300, they walk away. Oh, we have nice leaders as, you know, 77, a nice godly number. Surely they were, they were looking out for us, our best interest. And then you see Gideon and the 300, they return and they're chastising the leaders, the elders. Very interesting because you see Sukkot, they had elders. They had elders and the elders had a responsibility, but did they fulfill the responsibility? Wrong formula. And so the people, the the, the whosoevers, they look out and they're like, well, what, what, Gideon and the 300, like, we, 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 we want to praise him because they liberated us. You have this, uh, this opposing faction. They are oppressors and they like Gideon and the 300, they, they took, they handled business. They took care of them and we want to pray, you know. We would absolutely give him bread. Do they want, what else do they want? Do they want more than bread? Whatever you want. You liberated us. But then they see, well, wait a second. Our elders are being chastised. These, our elders are, they're being chastised. Well, what happened? And then they realize, what? Our, our leaders rejected them? They asked for bread and our leaders didn't give bread? Then they realized we thought our leaders were good. And in that realization, the whosoever's realized we were in the wrong. As an assembly, we were in the wrong. Does this sound familiar? As new covenant believers, does this sound familiar? Were the whosoever's. Were the whosoever's to this day can still realize, oh my goodness, Jesus, he is my liberator. I didn't realize it 10 years ago. I didn't realize it 10 months ago. I didn't realize it 10 days ago. I didn't realize it 10 hours ago. I didn't realize it 10 minutes ago, but I realize now Jesus is my liberator. Listen, if you're realizing right now that Jesus is your liberator, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. So I love, you know, these passages of the Old Testament. Remember, we... We stand firmly on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. But we have our binoculars. And we look and we go, go back in history. And we study the Old Testament from the lens of the new covenant and on the, 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 the rock of the new covenant. And you realize, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. 
This is beautiful. For the whosoever's, it's beautiful. Not so much for the leaders because they're being chastised. In verse 17, Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In verse 9, he said he'd come back in peace. But then here in verse 17, he killed the men of the city. Well, let me tell you something. We absolutely see peace. But something else is also true. What is the effectuation for peace? Because who has peace now? It's those who are aligned with Gideon. You see? It's those who are aligned with Gideon. You say that's the Old Testament. Yes, absolutely. This is the Old Testament. And as a shadow of the things to come, what do we see? In Christ, he will return. He will return. He came the first time as a lamb. You figure, well, a lamb, you know, what, what harm could a lamb do? You know, no big deal. What harm could a lamb do? He's coming again as a lion. It's like, okay, <laughs> I don't want to tangle with the lion. I don't want to mess with the lion. Well, that's Jesus Christ, lion of the tribe of Judah. You see? But in verse 9, Gideon said he'd come back in peace. Yeah. The Prince of Peace will return in peace. Where he will be crowned King of Peace. But in the case of Gideon, he said he'd come back in peace. And in verse 17, he came back, he tore down the tower, and he killed the men of the city. Well... Were they at peace with him? Did they welcome him in? They rejected him. Rejection of Gideon came at a cost in both Sukkot and Penuel. Rejection of Gideon came at a cost as a shadow of things to come. Rejection of Jesus Christ. Rejection of the Lamb of God will come at a cost. And people tell me all the time, don't, you're using fear tactics. You're trying to get people to become Christians and you're trying to make, uh, uh, give them fear. You're trying to scare people into heaven. Well, let me tell you something. It worked wonders for me. I mean, when I open up my Bible and I read about hellfire, damnation, lake of fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, I read that. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. And when the Bible talks about salvation, when the Bible explains salvation and being saved, let me ask you a question. Saved from what? It is hellfire, damnation. You have these people today. They stand at the pulpits. They have no business at the pulpit. But they want a candy coat. Oh, I don't want to talk about hell because, oh, you know, it's... People are afraid of, you know, lake of fire. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point. 
Then they try to like psychoanalyze. They use these, you know, speak about, you know, flowery things and everything's fine and dandy. Listen, the Bible teaches about green pastures and still waters. Absolutely. But there are effectuators for those very promises. You see? Because the Lord promises good things. But there are also promises for bad things. There is blessing, there is curse. And he doesn't make robots. You know what that means? You get to choose. There is blessing, there is curse. You and me, we get to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Balls in your court. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I love that it's might. Might be. Not not that the world through him is saved. That the world through him, you know, is like automatically saved. No, that the world through him might be saved. I love that. You know why? Balls in your court. You have a choice to make. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loves you. Now, granted, be... There are other gods. I'm not, you know, it is absolutely true. There are other gods. Look at the might of Egypt and their gods that they worshipped. Very, they did have power. But they are not the Almighty. You know, and I had these conversations with Atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, you know, Catholics, you know, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, you know, you know, there are other gods and there is power with the other gods. But number one, I mean, let's cut to the chase. You align yourself to those other gods. Hello, lake of fire. You might be fine and dandy on earth, but life is a vapor. When you step into eternity, there is one way to the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. Things might, you might be Hindu and things are fine and dandy. And you die in Hinduism. You're going to burn in hell. And yes, granted, you know, I, you know, it, it pains me to say it that way, but it also pains, pains me to candy coat it. It pains me more to candy coat it. Oh, I don't want to say like, oh, you know, have a nice day, Hindu. Have a nice day, uh, 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 Jehovah's Witness. Oh, have a nice day. Well, what I do want to say is repent. Come out of her, my people. You're Hindu? Okay, leave Hinduism. 
You're Catholic? Leave Catholicism. The Lord rescued me from that cult of Rome because it is unbiblical. People say, oh, it's Christianity. No, it isn't. All you got to do is read the Bible and you realize it's not. You see? You're Jehovah's Witness. You're Mormon. Come out for my people. Come to Christ. Receive Jesus Christ. But there's a formula for that. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. Look at verse 17. And with Gideon, he tore down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the city. Wait a sec. He came the first time. He was, he didn't come back, you know, killing, you know. He was, he was going to kill the oppressors. But because they rejected him, now the, the rejection of Gideon comes at a cost. In like manner, the rejection of Jesus Christ comes at a cost. Listen, you can hate me all you want. I mean, if you're Hindu and you're like fuming, I can't believe this guy says I die and I'm going to burn in hell. Listen, I'm just a messenger. Read the Bible. You can read it for yourself. I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things because I love you. In verse 18, and he said to Zeba and Zamuna, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, as you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother, as the Lord lives. If you had let them live, I would not kill you. Verse 20, and he said to Jether, his firstborn, so Gideon has a son. He speaks to his son and he says, Jether, rise and kill them, exclamation point. You know, I, <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. What a difference from his own dad. What a difference from his own dad. His dad raised an altar to Baal and Gideon, he's teaching his kid how to be a warrior. And he says, rise and kill them. Now, a little disclaimer here. Observe Israel according to the flesh. You know, for, for parents, I'm not saying, you know, teach your kids how to, how to, you know, kill. But in one sense, I am saying teach your kids how to be deadly. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Teach them how to be deadly like Stephen and lead by example. Teach them how to be deadly like Chloe and lead by example. And so Gideon says, hey, son, rise and kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So a little early, Gideon. A little early, but listen, it's better to start early than it is to start late. I mean, sometimes I've had these conversations with moms, grieving moms, with kids who are in jail. 
I, I say kids were in jail, but you know, adult kids. So like, you know, like, like, you know, 19 years old, 22 years old, 23 years old in jail. Too late, mom. Too late. What do I do? What do I, you know, kids who are in juvie, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, kids who are in juvie and parents, moms, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You're too late, mom. I mean, you could always pray for your child. But the time to take the proper course of action in child rearing is not when the kid is 15, is not when the kid is 20, is not when the kid is 25 or 30. You're too late, mom. You're too late, dad. You know when the time to start is? The day of his birth. The day of her birth. That's when you start. You see? Teaching them about the good things of the Lord. But they don't understand. They can't speak. They just, you know, two weeks old, they can't speak. But in the life of a child, the learning begins. I mean, you picture a child coming out of the womb, what they've known for the last month, the, the last nine months, what they have known, I mean, the Whatever's, you know, like the, the, the womb, you know, and all that stuff, you know, what they've known, what they felt, that warmth. And all of a sudden they're out into this world. Their lungs are filling with oxygen. What is this? You know, their eyes are opening for the first time. I mean, like in, in this world, I mean, their eyes, what they saw before is a lot different than what they see now. And they're learning. What, what is this sensation I have in my lungs? I've never had this. What is this in my lungs? I've never felt it before. What is this? What is this that my eyes see? I've never seen this before. What is this that my little tiny fingers touch? I've never felt this before. What is this fabric? What is this? Song? What is this? They don't even know it's fabric, but it's fabric. But you know, what is this that I touch? What is this that wraps my body? What are these hands that touch me? What are these hands that gently rub my back, my head? What is this voice I hear? And what is this voice I hear? And what is this name I hear? Jehovah Jireh? Jesus, God, what is this name I hear? What is this name of Jesus that I hear? You see, parents, start on day one. That's when you start. That's when you start. And so Jethro was a little early, you know, Jethro says, hey, you know, Jethro, hey, kill these guys. And, you know, the youth, I get it. You know, he's a little afraid. You know, he's still a youth. I get it. But listen, it's better to start early than it is to start late.
In verse 21, so Ziba and Zamuna said, rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zamuna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Crescent ornaments. Very interesting. In verse 22, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, rule over us. Very interesting because they were rejected in Sukkot. They were rejected in, 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 in uh, Gideon was rejected in Sukkot and uh, rejected in Penuel. But now they're saying, you know, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. And this kills me. It breaks my heart. Because we see something that is rather fickle when it comes to the people. Not everyone. And when I say say fickle, I mean blindness. Verse 23, but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. You see? The Lord shall rule over you. I love that. I love that so much. You see this aspect of humility in Gideon. And it reminds me of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Can you? What teacher? What teacher? What teacher desires to be alone? What pastor desires to be alone? Because, you know, you look at pastors today. And it's all about the size of the church. Well, look, we have 50 people. We're awesome. The next pastor, oh, look, you have 50. We have 100. We're awesome. Look, it's the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord. Oh, you have 100. Look, we have 1,000. Oh, look, the Lord is with us. We have 10,000. Oh, look, the, it's all about the size. You know, oh, look, you know, it's, we got, we're, we're bigger here. We got, we got this ministry over here, this ministry over there. Look, we're global. We have this. Oh, look how awesome we are. What pastor desires to be alone? You know, John the Baptist, they called him rabbi. Picture you and me. We're students of John the Baptist. You and me. And we're so in love with John the Baptist because he's teaching us, he's taught us, and he's taught us well. And he keeps teaching us. And then all of a sudden, this man emerges on the scene. And we're so in love with our teacher. And we go to him, Rabbi. Teacher, what do we do? You're our teacher, what do we do? 
There's this man, he also teaches, they call him rabbi. And people are following him. And we saw that you baptized him. Rabbi, teacher, what do we do? And this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man, he says, go to him. Go to him. He says, I must decrease. He must increase. You know, pastors today, you think pastors today would say that? Hey, pastor, what do we do? Well, if I lose you 20, I'm not going to be able to have the numbers. If I lose you 100, I'm not going to be able to say that we have a big church. If I lose you 1,000, I'm not going to be able to say I have a big church anymore. If I lose you 5,000, I'm not going to be able to say I have a big church anymore. And mind you, I'm also going to lose a lot of money because you're not going to be tithing anymore. But John the Baptist says, no. I must decrease. You go to him. You know, you know how hard, how hard that must have been for John the Baptist, who poured his everything into his students. And he says, you go to Jesus. And so John the Baptist is alone. And he gets his head chopped off. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Pastors, I have a message for you. Pastors, men, female pastors, sorry, repent, step down. Men, pastors, I have a message for you. Don't just die to self. Die for the flock of God. Teach, pour, protect. And if it costs your life, so be it. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. Pastors, to die is gain. Protect the flock. Feed the flock. You must decrease. We're living in the last days. And with Gideon here, 
He just flat out tells them point blank. Listen, you want a ruler? It ain't me. I'm not going to rule over you, nor shall my son. You know, a lot of pastors, they like to treat, you know, God's house like it's a family business. Oh, look, I got my son over here. So what if he does his sex? So what if he does his drugs? So what if he does his alcohol? Because of me, and we're going to treat this church like it's carnal. Because it is carnal. And so my son, he's going to be the next pastor. And my daughter, I don't have any sons, so I have my daughter. So she's going to be pastor now. And they treat church like it's a family business. No, it's God's business. And when it's God's business, I mean, say you're CEO. No, forget that. Say you are majority shareholder of a company. You are the majority shareholder. And the CEO goes off into crazy town. You know what you're going to do to that CEO? Bye-bye. You're majority shareholder. You are the one who calls the shots. CEO wants to go off and do something that doesn't align to what, 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 what you want as majority shareholder. You have the shares. The shares are yours. The company is practically yours. I mean, say you're like, you know, if you're 100% shareholder, you know, the company is yours. If you're like, you know, 51%, you know, you have, you know, all these outside, you know, you have other shareholders, but you have a say, but you know, you're majority. But if you're like 70%, 80%, you're like clearly majority shareholder. And the CEO goes off into crazy town and does something or says something or behaves in a manner or, you know, the, 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 the profits aren't there. And the CEO, CEO goes against what you desire as majority shareholder. You know what you do? Hey, CEO, take a hike. See you later. You see? A lot of CEOs that think they're the shot callers, they forget about the majority shareholder and they get fired. I mean, you know, that's what happens. It's business. Don't take it personal. It's just business. It's business. The church, it belongs to Jesus. The church he is the head pastor of every church. And then you have pastors who think, well, you know, I know the Bible says that females can't be pastors, but oh, that was for 2000 years ago. Today we can have female pastors. That was for another dispensation. What? Female pastors, you want to be on your own program? Let me tell you something. Repent and step down or hellfire damnation. Straight up. We can't candy coat. I meant to let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. You have a pastor that says, I know the Bible says that, you know, there's uh, the, 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 the branches doesn't support the root and the branch doesn't support the root. And I know the Bible teaches that. Oh, but that was for another dispensation. God is all done with Israel. Replacement theology. the head pastor of the church, and I speak of Jesus Christ, do you think he's going to be silent about it? 
He might be silent now. I mean, in terms of like, you know, he hasn't come yet. He is coming. But when I say he might be silent now, I speak in terms of, you know, he hasn't come yet. But he is coming. But the word of God is clearly laid out. Well, we have the word of God. Whether or not it is clearly laid out, well, the ball's in your court. Why? Because you have to find a teacher. And don't forget, the Holy Spirit teaches. But just like with Peter, when Peter was, you know, he even speaks about Paul and says, you know, listen to Paul. Because Paul, he knows his stuff. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. Listen to Paul. He knows his stuff. No, don't forget, Peter was chastised by Paul. Peter was rebuked by Paul. And Peter doesn't say, oh, he's so mean. Look, he told this guy that he can't have sex with his dad's wife anymore. He's so mean. Look, he, he, he chastised Paul. He chastised the, the alcoholics and the extortion and, you know, the uh, 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 habitual sin and you know he Paul chastised he's so mean he's so mean he even chastised me look he's so mean he rebuked me and he did it publicly he did it in front of people he's so mean he's so mean you know what you don't see Peter say that you know what Peter says he says listen Paul he knows his stuff listen to Paul he knows his stuff And it's so powerful. It's so powerful because the Lord to this day has vessels. Look at vessel Deborah. Look at vessel Ehud. Look at vessel Gideon. Look at vessel Joshua. Vessel Moses. Look at all these vessels. Isaiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Look at all these vessels he has. Mary. Dr. Luke, Matthew, the tax collector. Look at all these vessels he has. And to this day, he still has vessels. How will we know who's a vessel of the Lord? The Bible says I have to submit to a pastor. How will I know? How will I know? How will I know? We got to read. The Lord gives the formula. The Lord teaches the formula. The Lord gives us the recipe. The Lord tells, he tells us the qualifications. But in these last days, as apostasy spreads and apostasy will get worse. Pastors, they're on their own program. Just like the disobedient CEO they think they run the show, but they don't. There's a majority shareholder that will say, hey, take a hike. And I don't mean to speak carnally in this manner about Jesus Christ because he's not CEO. He is head pastor. He is son of the Most High. The Alpha and the Omega. But I speak in this manner so that you and me and we can understand. And so we get to verse 24. 
in closing here in Judges 8. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you. That each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. Now, remember, there are statutes for plunder. Now, plunder is, when you read the Torah, plunder is not for the sake of amassing wealth, even though that's what it turns into. Now, it turns into that and you say, well, you know, well, why did it, if, if it's not for that, then why do we see it happen? Well, you see what happens when a person forgets the Lord. But plunder is not for the sake of amassing wealth, but plunder that would be later used for construction. Later used for elements and the actual construction of the temple, the first temple. There is a first temple. There is a second temple. The first temple built by Solomon. The second temple rebuilt by Herod. And the Bible prophesies of a third temple, which is being prefabricated today and is already prefabricated today. But the political climate, the political climate that's currently pending. But the red heifers, qualified red heifers, qualified red heifers. There were qualified red heifers several years ago, but then they, were, they found blemishes and they became disqualified. And there are rabbinical leaders today who are emphasizing we have to sacrifice these qualified red heifers ASAP because we learned our lesson from the last group that are now disqualified, but we have to sacrifice now. Major political factions in Israel, where you see the religious movements, the religious bloc within political powers, they're gaining not just momentum, but they're gaining influence, they're gaining power. And when I say these religious factions, these are religious factions that are pro third temple to construct the third temple. Now I have to make a disclaimer here. And when we speak of the third temple now understand, you know, Jesus Christ, remember Jesus Christ says, tear down this temple. And in three days I will, I will raise it. And he wasn't speaking about the, 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 the literal in terms of like, you know, brick and mortar. He was speaking about himself. But when we teach and mention this third temple, it's merely to as like a check mark, okay? You know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Like a list of prophetic events, and it's only to mark a check mark, okay? Third temple built, check mark. This third temple, it's not built yet. But we already see the makeup of the building blocks for the building of the third temple today. So this, when you see plunder in the Old Testament, it's for the sake of building the first temple. There's a second temple, and the Bible prophesies of a third temple. Going back to our studies in closing, 
Gideon's request, he says, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. Now, do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our studies through Genesis? It's, how many times in our studies in Genesis? How many times did you hear us say, it's one big family dispute? Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites with their crescent ornaments on their camels. And this family dispute still goes on today. And it will all be settled by Jesus. It's going to be settled. So they answered in verse 25, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. In verse 26, now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian. And besides the chains that were around their camel's necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod. Now, generally this is something worn, but this appears to be some kind of image because look what happens. Gideon made it into an ephod, ephod and set it up in the city Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. This kills me. It breaks my heart. Do you remember what we said earlier about the fickle aspect? The fickle aspect that, I meant, so fickle that in the course of time, and it happens rather quickly, that Israel plays the harlot. And in that harlotry, it becomes a snare to Gideon and his house, and it's so sad. But you know what? It happens still today. It happens still today. I met with Paul. Paul, as an old man, he says that he doesn't count himself as apprehended, but he presses forward. And that's the life of the Christian. You and me, we press forward. We press forward. Because to count ourselves as apprehended, we're going to be dead. I mean, in order for anybody to count themselves as apprehended, we're going to be dead. I mean, these earth suits. Remember 0%? We come to Christ at 0%. Our studies in Hebrews. If you're listening, like, what's 0%? He's talking about percentages now? Is this, you know, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to our studies to the book of uh, uh, Hebrews, and you'll understand when we say the percentages. We come to Jesus at 0%. But we don't stay at 0%. We go 5%, you know, 7%, 12%, and you might knock down to 7%. Then you repent. You learn your lesson. Jesus, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. Then, you know, back up to 8%, 10%. You know, you, the upward momentum. And Paul himself, who he says of himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. He's the one who says, I'm not, I don't count myself as apprehended. And that's what a lot of Christians do today. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. I have apprehended. Paul doesn't say that. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Yes, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Yes, but I don't count myself as apprehended. 
I don't count myself as achieving the crown, as wearing the crown. No, that's a future event. But I press forward. I run the race. The biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. It is once saved, stay saved. How does a Christian stay saved? We lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. And we run our race. We endure and we run our race. You see, together on this journey into paradise, very specific formula. It's super easy, but it's super intricate. Remember, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And beautiful Paul, I don't count myself as as apprehended, but I press forward. Some people figure reading the Bible once is adequate for permanent maturity. But that's the way of the fool. That's the fool. Well, I've read the Bible. I know everything in it. So I don't, I don't need to read it anymore. That's the mindset of a lot of people. And all you have to do is look at the rotten fruit. And you'll see the path of the fool. Listen. Never, never, ever, ever stop reading the Bible. Never. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word of God. Because Satan, he is relentless in his attacks. And he absolutely has his share of victories. And the Bible teaches us to fight. How to fight the way of the warrior. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. With Gideon, we see glimpses of Christ, but not the Christ. I mean, in the earlier verses, it's like, whoa, this is like, you know, major, major indicators of something that is Christ-like. But what I love so much is that it is not the Christ. We see Moses as a type of Christ, but not the Christ. Christ, Joshua as a type of Christ, but not the Christ, David as a type of Christ, but not the Christ. And that's what I love so much about God's people is that you see glimpses of Christ, glimpses of Christ. And here you see Gideon, all Israel played the harlot with this ephod that he set up in Ophrah. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his house. In verse 28, thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel. Notice in chapter 6, you see that Midian are the oppressors, the Midianites. But now they're subdued in verse 28. I mean, if you look at chapter 6, you're like, okay, there's the oppressors. And then you get to chapter 8, and you're like, okay, the oppressors are no more. But a lot happens. Between Judges 6 and Judges 8, a lot has happened. And you know how it started? Tearing down the idols. Tearing down the idols. But what breaks my heart so much is here you have Gideon with his ephod. And it becomes a snare. You see, it kills me. 
And Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. I love this, these moments of respite, respite. Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Now, the time has passed, and this is Gideon. Jerubbaal, that, that's the name his dad gave him, the little, little moniker that his, name, his dad gave him. And so time has passed, and Gideon, he's an older fellow, and he dwelt in his own house. In verse 30, Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. Now, I want to say something to my beautiful sisters in Christ. To my sisters in Christ. I don't like this. I'll be straight up. I don't like this. In fact, I hate it that we see men in the Bible with many wives and many concubines, which concubines are sexual slaves. I don't like it. Remember when Jesus was asked about divorce and he says that there are additives. There, these are things that were added because of weak men in the hardness of their hearts. They were added, but understand the law itself is the additive. It was added because of transgression, as Galatians 3 says. And Jesus, he points to the beginning. He says, from the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, it was not so. I meant straight up. How many wives did Adam have? How many wives did Noah have? You see, one. One. This is a par part of the major dangers of the Hebrew roots movement. I mean, you know, there are there are inherent dangers with Hebrew roots and things that we speak often about, especially in our study in Galatians and Hebrews, even Leviticus. Major, major dangers with Hebrew roots, but also with the Hebrew roots, there's you also see not in all, but you also see it where there's. A lot of perversion where multiple wives and sexual partners are permitted in accordance to the law. These are propagated and taught by wicked, wicked, wicked pastors. They call themselves pastors, but the Bible calls them serpents. They call themselves pastors, but the Bible calls them servants of Satan. They call themselves pastors, but the Bible calls them pseudodelphos, false brother, brethren, brethren. They're disqualified. They say they're qualified. The Bible calls them disqualified. And they permit these wicked perversions in accordance to the law. And these are things that they don't, it's not just that they might happen, they're happening. And you see it among Hebrew, in sects of the Hebrew roots movement. But to my sisters in Christ, when you read about multiple wives and concubines in the Old Testament, me personally, I hate it. I don't like it. I understand it. I get it, but I don't like it. And to say like, you know, what does he mean? He understands it. Well, I understand it. Jesus says it's the hardness of the heart. Men who don't understand. Now, that's Old Testament. 
But remember the words of our Lord. The better husband. Our better husband. The bridegroom who is returning. Remember his words where he says, In the beginning, it was not so. It was not so. And so here we are in verse 30, where Gideon, yes, he had 70 sons who were his own offspring. He had many wives. In verse 31, and his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. In verse 33, so it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. You know what this translates as? Baal of the covenant. Israel playing the harlot. Notice it's self-inflicted. They made Baal Barith their God. They chose to do this. Remember, God doesn't make robots. Once again, the Lord becomes forgotten. After all this, after all that has happened, and here we are again. Verse 34, thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubel, Gideon, Something interesting that we see, and it still applies today. When God becomes forgotten. When God becomes forgotten, those who adhere to him become the bad guy and the bad gal. This is an important reality that the remnant has to get very very, very accustomed to, very accustomed to. Because in these last days, as apostasy spreads, God will absolutely become forgotten inside the church and just like Gideon. The apostate, those in apostasy, will not show kindness to you. And you may think there's something wrong with you, but there isn't. It's them. They are the ones who have forgotten God. We must get very accustomed to this reality. Not comfortable. Not comfortable at all because it hurts. It hurts bad. It hurts deep. But it will come to pass. The pain will be history one day, but it's not today. In verse 35, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubel Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. Gideon did such good. As a vessel of the Lord, he did such good. Now remember, for my sisters in Christ, remember the words of our Lord, the better husband. Or in the beginning, it was, I mean, you know, 
he had many many wives, many kids, and you know he had his concubine. But remember the words of our Lord that it was not so from the beginning. Adam, one wife. Noah, one wife. Under the law, you start to see many wives, concubines. But remember, the law is the additive. Why? Because of transgression. There are additives because of the hardness of the heart. In Christ, no more hardness of heart. New heart, new mind, new spirit, new creation. Not in accordance to the law, but in accordance to faith. Accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake. Not accounted unto Abraham because of the law. This is pre-law. Accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake. And there is the righteousness of Christ. If you're in a church where you hear pastors start to excuse multiple sex partners, run. That's a wolf. That's a wolf. Oh, but we follow Torah. We follow Leviticus. We follow... Run. That's a disqualified pastor. And as a vessel of the Lord, under the covering of the old covenant, Gideon did good. Gideon did good. Where are the oppressors? Dead. Verse 28, the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. And here, in verse 35, they don't show kindness to the house of Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. Where's Gideon's reward? Likewise, you, you continue to do good because our reward, it is not here. People will hate you. They'll leave you. They'll beat you. They may even kill you, but our reward where your crown is that has your name on it, our reward, it's in heaven. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.